Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Stockman. I so appreciate everyone who has taken the time to listen to an episode of my podcast. It's been a lot of fun to put together, and I hope it's fun to listen to. Be sure to share the podcast with fellow sports fans. New episodes come out every other Monday. On today's episode, I talked to George Mulry, the Executive Director of the International Volleyball Hall of Fame in Holyoke, Massachusetts. I've always enjoyed playing volleyball with friends, but didn't know much about the sport itself prior to George and I's conversation. It has a rich history going back 126 years. Stay tuned after my conversation with George for information on snow volleyball during this episode's overtime segment. This is an up-and-coming form of volleyball that sounds like a fun challenge to play. I'm back home with my family while putting together this episode, so you'll hear some new voices close the podcast after my interview with George. I hope you enjoy Episode 8 of Hallowed Ground. Well, today on the show, we have George Mulry, Executive Director of the International Volleyball Hall of Fame in Holyoke, Massachusetts. How are you, George? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Awesome. I always like to start out with guests on their background because sports museums is a, a niche industry, and I'm always curious about how people kind of find their way into it. So how did you start out in the sports museum world? Yeah, it was kind of by accident. I mean, I, I studied sport management at the Eisenberg School of Management at University of Massachusetts. And when I graduated, I was actually involved with volleyball a lot. I played on the club team at UMass and I was coaching volleyball back at the high school. I actually graduated from Holyoke High School and I was coaching back there. And I was trying to find a job that allowed me some flexibility so that I could continue to coach. And unless you're a teacher or own your own business, there's really not that many that exist. So once I graduated, I took my management part of my degree and went into real estate. And so I did that for a few years and it really helped build up some of the business side of it for me. But I always had that passion and stuck with volleyball. And that was what got me into the museum side of the industry. Volleyball Hall of Fame was starting a new tournament called the Showcase of Champions. And I was volunteering with some of the event organizers to put that together. And that got me some introductions with the board members. And I actually became a member of the board probably about 11 or 12 years ago. And um, that was that was kind of my in. Uh, we didn't have an executive director. We had a part-time person that was helping out as part of the staff for the Hall of Fame. And so we really had this one-time funding and the opportunity to put a position together. And so I... Um, I threw my hat in the ring and it, it seemed to work out. And I've been doing that since 2011. Yeah. The last few guests I've had, they've all talked about starting out as a volunteer and then just that kind of leading into a full-time or a director role. And you're, you're no different than that. So I think that's really neat and kind of inspires me as somebody who's not in the industry now, but wants to be is like, just get your foot in the door and then just kind of see what happens. Cause I'm sure you worked hard and did a good job and new volleyball. So that's, that's kind of the key. And you had that business background too, from real estate. That's, that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, you know, again, I think a lot of stuff, you know, you have to be lucky at times and things need to fall into place and the timing of everything just, just came at the exact right time. And I honestly would not have even given thought to the kind of the nonprofit world of the museum industry, but it's, I'm so glad that that was the path that I ended up going down. It's, it's been absolutely incredible. Yeah. So the museum itself is in Holyoke and I didn't realize you went to Holyoke high school. That's kind of cool that you have that local tie. So what is the town like? Cause it's a small town in Massachusetts and that's where volleyball started obviously, but can you give us a little more background on the town? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the city of Holyoke was really kind of an industrial manufacturing town for a long time. Um, it was the paper paper producing capital of the entire world. Um, they had fine textiles like silk. And so it was world renowned. Um, at one point, it had the highest concentration of millionaires in the United States. So it was really a flourishing community. And so when we flash forward now to, um, you know, kind of the 1970s, 80s and 90s, 
all those manufacturing jobs are gone. And so what we're left with are kind of all these derelict mill buildings, population drops down to about 40,000 people. And it's, you know, it, it was a city that really needs kind of an uplift. You know, it's being kind of my hometown. I always sort of took that upon me as, you know, here's something that I can do to help kind of bring bring the city of Holyoke to the world. And if we can do it through sport, that's an even better way to do it. So now, you know, Holyoke is kind of in the middle of a renaissance right now. They're rebuilding a lot of the areas, redevelopments coming in, new manufacturing and businesses are coming in. And, you know, it's giving us an opportunity to showcase what Holyoke and Western Massachusetts is about, because we're located about two hours west of Boston. So whenever, whenever people talk about Massachusetts, usually Boston is the first thing that they think of, or at least an identifying mark. And, and we're about two hours west of that. So we're, you know, we don't have the same accents and it's, it's definitely a different, <laughs> different place. You know, we don't park the car. <laughs> yeah, right. That's funny. I saw that the museum, at least on its website, you talked about how uh, there were fiberglass volleyballs around the city of Holyoke. That's can you talk about that a little bit? I thought that was really neat. Yeah, that was a really great project. And that was actually kind of through our local community college and a group called Leadership Holyoke. It was kind of just a civic pride project that they did at the end of their graduation. So we have 24 foot fiberglass volleyballs that were purchased by businesses and other organizations kind of as a show of support to volleyball um, being born in the city of Holyoke. And so they're on display outside many establishments. We actually have ours inside our museum, right in our lobby, so that it's safe from the weather. People can take photos with it. But they were decorated by local artists. So they're able to depict different areas of the city. Um, Some different organizations are able to have their their logos on there. Um, It's just a really unique way to kind of celebrate the passion and the history of Holyoke. Yeah, there's so much with that. You have the sports, you have the art and the the local civic ties and the businesses. And I'm not a huge art guy myself. I'm more leaning towards sports. But like when they can combine, I've talked to several uh, folks for the podcast that have talked about that just connection between sports and art. And it's so distinct and they can really engage the community in that way and kind of maybe bring in people that are leaning more towards the art side and kind of engage them with sports. So I think that's a really cool thing the museum's doing. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of crossover with cultural institutions and and what they're able to do. And this this was a really great example of of really the city working with private organizations and other area nonprofits and just getting this groundswell of support from the local community. And um, it's just always great to see the kind of that civic pride yeah. in, in stuff that's done. And again, if it's if it's something that surrounds volleyball as well, that's that's certainly a win for us. Awesome. Yeah. Can you talk about the history of volleyball? I know it goes way back to the 1890s. I certainly didn't know about it. I love playing volleyball with friends and beach volleyball and just all of the different types, but I didn't know much about the history. So can you talk about William G. Morgan and how his it's very similar to basketball in a lot of ways. And we'll talk about that later, but can you talk about the just origins of the history of the sport? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I think it, it really goes back to Holyoke kind of being that mill town. And so volleyball was, was a sport that was designed for local businessmen on their lunch break to have something to do. So basketball was invented as you, as you kind of said, a few years earlier, and it was just a bit too rough for the businessmen to kind of play on their lunch. And so this was a sport that he was able to draw in from many different sports at the time and and come up with something that would be a little less aggressive, kind of a more passive sport. You know, it it took off. He was able to demonstrate it within the city a few times. And then really it was at the physical director's conference at uh, Springfield College, the YMCA training school in July of 1896, where he was able to, uh, Morgan put the sport on display for that Y conference. 
and everybody loved it. There wasn't much equipment that was involved. You could have as many people as you wanted. So it, it just brought in a lot of really positive things for the YMCA. And um, it, it grew from there. I mean, it, it exploded through the YMCA in the military. That was what took it worldwide. And, you know, it's, it's in the top three, top four of most popular sports in the world right now. Yeah, that was something I didn't realize because there's a great virtual tour on the Volleyball Hall of Fame's website, and I'll have to link to that in the show notes for everyone to look at. But I didn't realize the ties between the military because I know um, as a big baseball guy, I know the military helps kind of spread throughout the Civil War, helps spread baseball, and um, it grew from there. But volleyball is the same way. During the World Wars, they would go and play different countries um, during the war. So, And you guys honor that at the museum. Could you talk about that exhibit a little bit with the military and volleyball connection? Yeah. Again, anytime that we can kind of pay homage to our roots, that's that's an angle that we'd like to go. So we do have volleyball in the military, and it kind of highlights a couple of our inductees that are kind of tied with the military. But the big piece is just finding all these little international pieces, you know, as as a sport grew, even through uh, the Philippines. So when we think of volleyball today, we see it in the Olympics and we see, you know, these big guys with these thundering spikes. And that didn't happen really until the 1910s. And so in the Philippines, they decided that, hey, if the goal of the game is to score a point, maybe we need to hit the ball a little bit faster. And so it, it kind of tells those stories that you don't really get to hear anywhere else and just the, the impact that the military had on, on bringing that together. So there's a lot of talk about Air Force bases and you know some of the, the military teams, but more so it's just kind of telling the stories through our inductees' eyes. Yeah, because volleyball is one of the more global sports and we're coming up on an Olympics and it'll be prominent there, but there's so many countries, so many places on earth where volleyball is played. And so there's a lot of countries represented too in your inductees. So can you kind of talk about the global outreach of the museum? And I bet you have like visitors from all over the world. So what's that experience been like? Yeah, I mean, just so volleyball in general, the, the FIVB is our international governing organization for the sport of volleyball. And with over 220 national federations, they were the largest federation of any sport in the world. Um, and so clearly there was a lot more territories and areas that played volleyball than even countries in the world. And they had organized volleyball. And so, you know, when we look at our inductees, we have currently 146 inductees from 24 different countries. And, you know, that makes us unique in the sense of a Hall of Fame, because Hall of Fames are, are typically North American things. They don't really happen many other places in the world. Right. Um, so for us to kind of expand globally and kind of in, induct those international folks, it's something that's special. And so I know that South America, Brazil, we have a ton of inductees from Brazil right now. And they're just they're absolutely phenomenal at volleyball. It's, you know, soccer is a religion in Brazil. Volleyball is a religion in Brazil as well. And it's pretty cool. And I know from the museum standpoint, every single year consistently, we have visitors from all 50 states. We have visitors from 12 to 14 different countries. And then certainly when we have our induction in the fall, we get a lot of our alumni come back and and we get to grow those numbers even more. Oh, it's pretty special. Yeah. And they all come to a smaller town in Western Massachusetts. So I think that's that's really neat. And it, that's kind of similar to basketball. So I think we'll we'll go there right now about the connection between James Naismith and William G. Morgan. And I had no idea about that. When I discovered it was in Holyoke, Massachusetts, I was like, maybe that's by Springfield. And it is. I think it's like 
less than 10 miles. Or it's something. right there. Yeah. It's just two, two towns over. Yeah. So talk about the relationship between the creators of two global sports coming from like the physical education departments of different places in Western Massachusetts. Yeah. I mean, you know, similar to how we talk about how people get into their positions and, you know, whether it's in the museum industry or, or what it might be, we all know that it's usually not this straight path. Right. And for William Morgan, that was certainly the case. He was at uh, Northfield Mount Hermon School, which is about 45 minutes north of Holyoke, and he was playing football. And so James Naismith was with the YMCA training school, and they had a football game. And that was where he met William Morgan and recruited him to come down to the YMCA training school in Springfield, Mass., and really got him involved in physical education and being a director of the YMCA. And so kind of without that, I don't even know that we really have this story. So we fast forward a few years, Naismith invents basketball. Basketball is wildly accepted and popular. And as we said before, you know, Morgan was looking for something that his businessmen can play without getting bloodied in the nose and the face and, you know, able to go and finish their day after lunchtime. And so it was really kind of in response to basketball that volleyball came about. I, I think we all feel like it was fortunate that that happened, but to have two Olympic sports invented 10 miles apart from each other uh, is certainly something unique from anything else in the world. Oh yeah. That's, that's, yeah. I didn't realize that as big of a sports guy as I am, I just didn't know that those two were so connected and they met playing football, which is a totally different sport. And that was kind of funny to me where <laughs> right. it's like they were on a football team and then they were <laughs> inventing these sports that are very different than football, but yeah. And you can see some of the ties between basketball and volleyball in terms of like playing surface a lot of basketball courts are used for volleyball and stuff like that so I thought that was pretty interesting from like a physical education perspective too because that's what their background was so that that's really really neat um, how it yeah. is connected to that other other sport just down the road I wanted to talk now about some of the artifacts in the museum I know there's like a, a half court in the museum and a lot of lot of different exhibits. You have a college exhibit, there's international beach volleyball, just because there's so many different types of volleyball. And I like how you guys like honor all of those and have inductees in all of those fields. So what will people see if they come up to Holyoke and see the Volleyball Hall of Fame? Yeah, I mean, we, we really try to do our best to tell the entire story of our sport. And, and certainly volleyball, you know, a lot of sports have their own unique things. But I think volleyball is just so flexible in kind of how it's received and done. You know, we have indoor volleyball, beach volleyball, but even with that, we have grass volleyball, there's snow volleyball that I don't know if you've heard of that, but that is potentially going to be an Olympic sport within the next 10 or 12 years. Wow. And that's going to make volleyball the only sport that's in the summer and the winter Olympics. Hmm. And so we're putting together a new display online and in the museum that kind of showcases what's involved with snow volleyball. And the same thing. So in Asia, and specifically in China, they have what's called nine-man volleyball. And it's only played by male players. And it's played, as you can imagine, with nine players on each side of the court. And it's its own special, unique game with rules, but it's just a variation of volleyball. And so we're putting together an exhibit on that. Um, there's someone actually putting together a documentary on nine-man volleyball and trying to inform people a little bit about that. But we think that if we're going to be the one Hall of Fame for the world, then we have to make sure that we do a good job telling the full story. And for that to happen, we know that it's going to be more than just the absolute top players that you see in the Olympics. There's a lot more that goes into it than that. So that's why we cover the origins from the YMCA, the military, you know, how the governing bodies got started and everything that takes you through to the present day.
Yeah. I know when you walk in, you see that volleyball, that's the fiberglass volleyball that you talked about earlier, but then you see all the international flags and there's a college exhibit and then your nine man where their own sport, but it's a variation. And I love those little offshoot sports that kind of come up from others and Canadian football is a little different than American football. And then a lot of other countries don't play football in that form. It's, it's just kind of interesting to me how sports spread and kind of take on the culture of where they're at. And I, I like that you guys at the museum are honoring that where there's this documentary and you want to incorporate that. And I think that's really unique where like a lot of people know about nine man volleyball, especially overseas in Asia and China. And so you want to make sure to tell that story too, not just what people see at the Olympics. So how do you kind of seek out those stories or what are the ways that you discover these newer forms of volleyball? Yeah. I mean, a lot of what we do is kind of based on, you know, what, some of the stories of our inductees and where they come from and kind of what they've experienced. And, you know, we have the opportunity when they come to Holyoke, we have them sit down in our, our media center that's over at, at Holyoke High School. And we're able to do these one-on-one interviews for 30 or 40 minutes with them and really dive deep into everything that kind of went into them becoming inductees. And so out of those stories, a lot of these offshoots are born where we're able to find out a lot more that goes on in the world of volleyball than, than what we're really exposed to. But again, I think just the explosion of the internet in the last 20 and 30 years um, has certainly made things more accessible and information more accessible. And so with that and social media, that's certainly made life a lot easier to see, you know, this is, these are some interesting things that we want to focus on, or maybe we, we have some artifacts in our archive that we can help expand that story on that other people might not have. And so we get a lot of our, our ideas from that as well. On the virtual tour, I noticed there was just a lot of different trophies on the tour. It was something I picked up on, and some were pretty unique, like maybe a surfboard if it was a beach tournament, or just these really old trophies from back in uh, the origins of volleyball. So what's your favorite trophy at the museum? And, and just kind of talk about some of those different aspects of the trophies themselves. We're really fortunate to have a lot of donors that trust us with, with their artifacts. And so we do try to keep those on display. We don't think it's helpful to have those stored in a back room. Um, so when we're able to do something meaningful, we like to do that. I think a few of the more interesting ones, you know, in 1922, that was the first international volleyball tournament that was held. And so we actually have the trophy from that event. And I think that that's one of the cooler artifacts that we have, um, just because it does go f- so far back into the, the origins of kind of the explosion of volleyball. Yeah, coming up on 100 years of that, that'll be pretty sweet next yeah, year. Yeah, it's really exciting. And I know that you know, one of the, the cooler ones, I mean, some of the beach volleyball ones, those are the the absolute best. That's where people get really exciting, just really creative with their designs. Um, so we have some that, you know, it's it, it looks like a beach display and they have a kind of a net coming out of the top of it. And it's there's some really unique ones, like you mentioned, surfboards, if you win the tournament. Um, a lot of them, you know, are tied to wherever their tournament is locally held. What is that area known for? And, and the event organizers and the promoters do really a terrific job kind of coming up with things that tell the story of that local area. That's cool. I love the old history and the old, that's what I like to see at the museums that I go to is like the, the older things that kind of tell the origin stories and especially how it became global. I think that's really cool that you have that first trophy from the international competition, but then it's always like, who doesn't love to see just this kind of out there, crazy beach volleyball trophy. I think that's, that's neat where I bet kids love that. And I bet right. that they're 
probably just like, what is this? And it's a, a trophy for a tournament, just like you might get in little league or something. So what do you guys do in terms of kids and programs and different things? I know COVID maybe has affected some of that, but what are ways that you kind of engage the, the community, specifically kids? Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the, the other unique pieces is that the building that we're in is actually shared with another museum and it's our local children's museum. And so they have a whole separate area that has water tables and you know things that people can touch and play with. And so we definitely get some crossover. Yeah. So what we tend to do is we have that half court area. There's not really a space within our museum to actually play full volleyball. So we set up mini courts and we have inflatable balls and we have light volleyballs that are always set up and people can use that and play. And so that's, that's really the main way that we can just let kids go in and they just love to run around. And so, you know, we always have these events where we have volunteers from the local high schools or the local volleyball clubs will come in and they'll, they'll help assist and run some clinics and, and do some stuff for the museum. And that's, that's been some of the greatest things because we're able to set up a few grass nets outside on the front lawn of the museum. Um, we've held events there and some, some youth-oriented events as well. It's just a lot of fun. You have to run off that steam somehow, and volleyball is a good way to play with your friends and have some competition, and I'm sure they love that. And Who doesn't want to play some volleyball with their friends outside or inside? I think that's, that's pretty cool how you engage the kids that way. Yeah, we try to. I know, um, you know, one of our initiatives that was actually stopped because of COVID was our, uh, it was a hashtag future Hall of Famer program. And we were doing this with the city of Holyoke and kind of the local area to provide free volleyball clinics and volleyball opportunities for the Boys and Girls Club and the YMCA and just kids in the general area that we would be able to bring in high school teams and college coaches and have them run clinics kind of within our local area gyms kind of with the Hall of Fame backing it. And so we're really trying to get that off the ground this summer. Um, you know, we're we're just opening up here in Massachusetts as of the 29th of May. So okay. it's definitely still fresh, but that was, um, you know, from the, the youth perspective, we felt that that was, that was a really great way for us to kind of be relevant and introduce volleyball to more people. And I, I think you mentioned this kind of in the very beginning that, a lot of people play volleyball, especially as you get older. It's, you know, every 4th of July picnic, Memorial Day, you know, a net is set up somewhere you go to the beach. But to play it, you know, as a younger player and see the value and the benefits of the sport and the fact that it's really not a passive sport anymore. There may be a net in between you, but it is full force, full contact, high intensity sport. And trying to tell that story, I think, is going to be our its own separate challenge. But certainly getting kids involved at a young age is a way to do that. Yeah, that's great. I'm 22 and I'm still like learning the rules as I go because I don't know all the specifics of the rules. And I think that's always fun where somebody maybe knows a little bit more than I do and is able to kind of show the group like, hey, this is actually the rule or um, this is how this works. And I just as somebody not that familiar with volleyball, but still plays it a little bit, then I think that's kind of cool to learn from the other people. And if you're able to do that with kids, then they can be those that know the rules and know how to play and and just have that time when they when they get older. So that's that's awesome that you guys are starting to get those programs back. And with kind of coming out of COVID, what are some things that maybe you guys did digitally that you want to keep continuing through the pandemic as it subsides? Or what are some lessons that you guys have maybe learned? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the lessons and takeaways that that we had are probably shared with a lot of other organizations is just, you know, the ability to connect digitally with people and how easy that is through Zoom and through everything else. I, I think that's something that we're going to continue to do. I mean, we talked a little bit about those interviews that we like to do with our inductees on the ground. Right. We're actually going to do those ahead of time now. 
And so we're gonna have those all set to go. And now that's gonna free up the inductees for other events so that we can do some media panels and, and do some other things that we don't have time for. So I, I think just the ease and being able to be better connected kind of with our alumni. I know that was the biggest takeaway for us. It's just a lot more personal when you see somebody's face and you can have a conversation. And it's certainly a lot easier than having people travel all the way around the world just to make that happen. Right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you can totally do a Zoom call just like we're doing now, do it with an inductee and they can still share their stories and you can capture that and keep it for future use. But then, yeah, that frees them up to do other things when they come for induction. So I always like to ask too about what are induction ceremonies like? I know that's like the biggest weekend usually for sports museums. So how does the International Volleyball Hall of Fame do their inductions? Yeah, I mean, our, our events are typically three days long. And so the inductees would fly in on a Tuesday or Wednesday. Thursday, they'll have some free time during the day. And then we have our alumni reception. So that's where we have our returning inductees, the past Hall of Famers, come in and kind of give the official welcome to the new class talk to them about kind of what to expect, why it's so unique and important and exciting to be in Holyoke. We do that event in a really unique venue, honestly. It's at Springfield College in a place called Judd Gymnasium. And what's unique about that is back in 1896, in that July 1896 conference, that was the actual building and the room where Morgan displayed and demonstrated volleyball for the first time. And so they still have the same hardwood floors. I mean, they've been finished and, you know, redone over the years, but the inductees are actually able to stand and touch on the same floor where their sport was invented that had given them so much. And so it's this powerful moment that kind of sets the tone for the entire weekend. Hmm. And so we take that into the following day, which would be a Friday. Typically um, that's when we would normally record our inductee interviews. And then we have a mayor's reception. And so that has been held at a local we have a special museum called Wisteria Hearst Museum in Holyoke. One of the silk manufacturers, William Skinner, that was his home. And so now it's this sprawling estate. And so we have the event there. And so that's a, an opportunity to kind of introduce them now to Holyoke, talk a little bit about the history of Holyoke, and sort of, again, just tease them one more time before we actually get them into the museum. Um, and so we follow that up with a ring and plaque ceremony. And that's the first time that they're able to see Kind of the hall of fame they get to see their plaque their face and name in the museum and they get to see you know all the displays the displays that we put that together for them for that year and then we follow that up on the final day of the saturday with a dinner and ceremony and so that gala and dinner uh dinner and ceremony is the one culminating event that's where the inductees will really have the opportunity to you know give their speeches we'll have presenters that get to talk about each inductee as well and show their highlight videos. And then Sunday morning, everybody is usually right back out and back to normal life. It's it's a whirlwind three or four days, but it's it's something really special. And the whole city of Holyoke all comes together. You know, it's it's unique. We have all the gateways to the cities have these big signs that say Holyoke birthplace of volleyball. They have volleyballs that the public works paints on the streets during the event. Um, and it's it's really cool. It's just a great community-wide effort. Yeah, it kind of has to be because Holyoke is a, a smaller town, but you have people from all over the world coming in. Like, it needs to be a, a whole 
city effort. And I think that's really cool how you kind of draw out the days and you help them kind of experience Holyoke and experience the Hall of Fame and you do all these different things with them. And I bet they feel a lot of joy and just honor doing that because that's it's very special for them to be inducted. But then you kind of make it a huge deal. And it, it is because it's a International Hall of Fame and they should be celebrated like that. Do you have a favorite story of an inductee or maybe just a, a neat story from maybe a, a kid coming to the museum or something like that that you want to share with like the biggest impact that the museum made in somebody's life or just a, a cool story. I always like hearing those. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's, there's probably a couple that come to mind. One of them honestly was, was kind of early on and we had um, Vladimir Gerbic who was one of our inductees from Serbia in 2011. That was my first induction as the executive director. <laughs> and we had this freak snowstorm in October that never happened, even in, in the Northeast, known for our crazy weather, never happens. And so the leaves were all still on the trees and we're just really not used to having snow when that happens. And so it took down power for a couple of days and it did all these crazy things. And, and so it just made for this really weird and special event. But, but what I remember was, this was the first time that we had the inductees kind of interact with some of the groups. So when we did our ring and plaque ceremony, we had local area high school teams all come to the event and we did kind of a, a panel roundtable discussion with the inductees and his responses were just so poignant that was the talk of all the teams for the, the whole rest of the month, you know, on all their social media. And anytime I ran into the coaches, that was all they kept saying, which is we couldn't believe, you know, the positive messages that he gave and, you know, how he inspired all the kids and, you know, having to go through the snowstorm and all the other craziness that happened. So there's, there's things like that that are cool, but I know probably one of the most unique pieces of it for me personally has been this year and kind of coming out of COVID, you know, normally, we're, we're a bit more impersonal with our announcements of the inductees. And so a lot of times it's a personal phone call and we say, hey, you know, George from the Hall of Fame and you know, thank you for your, everything you've done for volleyball. But with all this new technology that we have access to now, we were able to do those face-to-face -face this year via Zoom and kind of capture reactions and surprise some of our inductees. Mm -hmm. And it's it's been just wildly unique. And, and to physically see you know, the, these grown men break down in tears. Um, they're from other countries that have nothing to do with the United States. It's just a, a Brazilian volleyball player that has absolutely given his life to the sport. And, you know, when you tell them, hey, you know, the sport wants to recognize you for all you've done and just to see them react to that, um, it's something that's truly unique. And, and I can't imagine us ever uh, telling another inductee that they've been inducted in a, a different way anymore. It's been really cool. That's super cool. We actually had to move this interview to accommodate some of that. You're like, I'm, I'm going to be doing this all day. And I wanted to ask you about that because I'm sure there's a ton of emotion there where they're just, they're probably stunned because I like, what is the induction process? They, they probably know they're on the ballot, right? But just to hear those the words, you've been inducted into the International Volleyball Hall of Fame, just that is so special because they've worked their whole lives for that. And so um, I bet those reactions are very, very emotional. Yeah, and they were they were very powerful. Um, and yeah, I certainly appreciate all your flexibility. <laughs> it, it has been a whirlwind two weeks. I bet. Uh, just trying to reach out to everybody. And, and again, trying to make it a surprise has been the other fun part is that we don't want to just say, hey, come on, so we can tell you a, a message. Yeah. We're you know, saying, hey, you know, they were doing an interview with Globo TV in Brazil. And then, you know, they just patch me in for a quick... <laughs> A quick hello and and hop on but 
you know, our, our process is actually fairly unique for a museum as well. So we, we accept nominations from anyone in the world, the top vote getters based on all the different categories of male indoor, female indoor, male beach, female beach, coach, official, leader, all go on to the ballot. So we'll, we'll end up with about 30 names on our final ballot. And so in a typical year, we only induct three to six people. So it's really a, a small group that actually gets that final, yeah. that final push. And so we've done a fan vote for the last four or five years. Uh, I think us and, the, and NASCAR were the kind of the first ones to do that. I know tennis has done an incredible job with that as along with some other museums now. And that's really the last that most of the inductees hear of it. But the actual votes come from all living inductees. So they're not being inducted by this panel of sports writers. They're inducted by their peers, which makes this a really unique opportunity. And I think that adds to just why it's so powerful when they hear that, you know, wow, there's all these people in all these other countries feel that I'm worthy of this. And it's, it's really cool to be a part of that. I bet because they probably know of each other, at least from playing maybe an international competition or because volleyball seems like a tight knit community, but just to be recognized by your peers, just there's nothing really better than that. And then you get to make the zoom into the like TV broadcast. Like that's, that's just really cool where you can surprise them when they think it's for something else, but then here's this awesome news where they've been inducted. Yeah, hundred percent. I think, you know, it's for all the, for all the bad things that it's brought Definitely. to us, and, you know, the, the lost revenue and, you know, lost admissions, things mm -hmm. like that. It, it's, it has some really positive impacts for us as well. And even, even with our website, you know, we're continuing to update what we do there. And, you know, we think that being able to share a lot more of our stories and exhibits online um, is certainly going to be an important piece going forward for us. So we're continuing to to expand and look at those and even try to make those as interactive as possible. Because um, really, you can go online and, and read anywhere. But if we can tell the stories and photo and video and artifacts in a unique way, I think that's going to be a good a good thing for volleyball. Yeah, that was certainly helpful for me when researching to talk to you. I <laughs> went on the website and there was a lot, lot there, which I, I appreciated. Nice. Um, yeah. As we wrap up here, George, like what is what's new on the horizon for the museum or are there some new exhibits? You mentioned like the no volleyball and some of those other things that are, are new. What can people look forward to in the future for the Volleyball Hall of Fame? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things is, you know, right now we're we're really in the midst of celebrating the 125th anniversary of volleyball. You know, COVID had an impact on that as well. Um, so it's it's kind of moved to 126th anniversary celebration. You know, with that, we're putting together a whole new membership program. Um, we really haven't had a membership program in about 30 years. So I think that that's been a really big missing piece is that we, we have access and all these fans that want to engage with us and we haven't found a meaningful way to do that. So we're trying to get that off the ground. One other unique thing that is not unique to museums, but certainly unique to us in that we've never done it before is kind of opening up our museum space for outside rentals. I know that you had talked with the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame and they do a phenomenal job. They do a ton at, of rentals yeah, and events. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, we're certainly aware of, of everything that they're doing and a lot of other museums are doing as well. And, you know, that's, we have a unique space, 5,000 square feet. Most of it is this wide open area. And, um, you know, so we think that there's some opportunity there as well to kind of just be ingrained a bit more with our community. The, the Hall of Fame, was born out of the Holyoke Chamber of Commerce. So it wasn't just that these volleyball people got together, it was local business people got together and said, how can we promote Holyoke 
as a tourist destination, as a business destination. And we wanna make sure that we stay true to those roots and make sure that we're ingrained in the community and not just this kind of outlier that just does our own thing. And so we think that that's another way that we can kind of stay involved and just be a resource for local organizations and businesses to have meetings and, and other events. That's great. Could you talk about where people would find the museum, both online and in person? This has just been a great conversation and I just wanted to um, wrap up with where people can find you because you guys have a great website and social media presence and also up in Holyoke. So can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so the museum itself is in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Again, about two hours west of Boston. We're about 30 minutes north of Hartford, Connecticut as well. And it's in Western Massachusetts, which is just an absolute beautiful part of Massachusetts and New England. Online, you can find us at volleyhall.org. That's volley and then hall with an H. Um, and then all of our social media is at VB Hall of Fame um, as well. So we have our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all the usual suspects are there. Awesome, George. This was a great conversation. Certainly educated me a lot about volleyball. And I just love how you're ingrained with the community and trying to just expand volleyball's footprint because it's already this global game, but you want to keep recognizing that and keep just educating folks about its origins in Holyoke and then how it spread and its ties to the military and all sorts of other groups too. So thanks again for being a guest. And if I'm ever up in Massachusetts, I will definitely stop by the International Volleyball Hall of Fame. Yeah, I hope you do. And thank you again so much for not just having us on, but for everything that you're doing to the museum industry and kind of getting all these really great folks together to talk about what their passion is. So I appreciate the opportunity to do that. This has been awesome. Thanks, George. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, everyone. This is Andrew's brother, Aaron. During Andrew's conversation with George, you heard about some newer versions of volleyball, including nine-man volleyball and snow volleyball. It's fascinating how sports expand and grow beyond their origins, leading to differences based on a country's culture or even weather conditions. I'll be talking about snow volleyball in this episode's overtime segment. Now, you might be wondering if snow volleyball is what it sounds like, and you're right. Quoting from USA Volleyball, snow volleyball is a three-player variant of beach volleyball played in snowy conditions. Teams are allowed one reserve player and two substitutions per set, and each match is best of three 15-point sets. Playing volleyball on snow has been done for decades out of necessity in the cold winters of Europe. It wasn't until recently, in 2008, that an Austrian sports marketing agency named Chaka 2 organized a snow volleyball event held in Wagrain, Austria. A snow volleyball tour began around that time and began traveling around the continent, gaining popularity along the way. In 2015 and 2016, the European Volleyball Confederation formally adopted the sport and began creating a larger European snow volleyball tour. The athletes usually come from indoor and beach volleyball backgrounds, and there's no sanctioned uniforms at this point in the sport's history. However, usually players wear thermal underwear under their athletic wear because they have to stay warm. Cleats are worn by the athletes to gain traction in the snow. The FIVB, Volleyball's International Governing Body that George mentioned in our conversation, has recognized the sport and is working on its global popularity. USA Volleyball has both a men's and women's snow volleyball national team. The big rule change occurred in recent years moving from two players, as beach volleyball has, to three plus a substitute. The sport was a demonstration sport at the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea, and as George said, the goal is for the sport to be in the Winter Olympics fairly soon, making it the first sport to be in both the Summer and Winter Games. You can find the International Volleyball Hall of Fame online at volleyhall.org or in Holyoke, Massachusetts, just north of Springfield and two hours west of Boston. 
Check out the show notes in your podcast app for the Hall of Fame's website and social media pages. Thanks to George for an awesome interview. I hope you enjoyed Episode 8 of Hallowed Ground, the Sports Museum podcast. If you want, you can give a five-star rating and review for the pod. That helps our exposure on various podcast apps. Thanks in advance. See you next time, sports fans.